You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our little podcast here, please consider helping the show out by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. Right before we get started, let me get in another plug right here off the top for our Patreon page. Again, if you think this podcast is worth five bucks a month and you would like to see the podcast keep going, you know, and remain as ad free as possible, please consider becoming a patron of our show. You can go to patreon.com slash island and sign up. It's a $5 a month donation, and uh, patrons get exclusive access to a live chat during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island. We always have a great time in there. <laughs> and you hear me always mentioning it here on the show because I love some of the insights the listeners get. And and speaking of that, um, for you patrons out there, you know, go to the Patreon page even after. You don't have to do it live. Go in after. Put in your comments of what you think about the show that you just saw. All. Even if it's a couple days later or whatever it might be, throw them right there on the Patreon page. It's so, so easy for me to see. And then other patrons get to see what you think and we get to kind of chat about it. If you bring something up, it's an awesome way to do it. So uh, anyway, go to patreon.com slash digging Oak Island to sign up and support the podcast. And remember, it's only five bucks a month and you can cancel anytime. And also, if you prefer not to do the monthly thing, and I get that, you know, you can also make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Uh, just use the username Dave McBride Music. I am a musician by trade. For those of you who don't know, it's what I do for a living. And that's sort of my virtual tip jar that we set up, especially during COVID. Uh, let me just say a huge thank you to both Patrick and Jennifer for their donations this week. Thank you guys so much for your generosity. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the Diggin' Oak Island family. Your support means everything, really, to me and to the family here and to my family, sure. As always, let's start today's podcast with emails and messages from you, the listeners. And we begin with an email from Andy who writes, Hiya, or Heya. Uh, so one thing that bothers me about the Roman coin is it seems to me, and to maybe Gary Drayton, that they are spinning it to feel like someone from Rome or that time period dropped it, right? Or am I misreading the supposed implications? I couldn't tell if Gary was so, so, so annoyingly excited because it was a 2,000-year-old coin that a 2,000-year-old man dropped or just excited by a rare coin find. But in fact, that coin could have been dropped 100 years ago or even last week. It is a really, really odd find, but maybe someone in 1875 had a coin collection and lost this coin due to carelessness or lending it to a child. Maybe it's the same person who lost their lead cross. Maybe someone in 1911 got drunk and fell down spilling out their lucky coin from their top pocket. Also, that acorn object seemed to me to be a weight that may have been used in surveying, but that is not my expertise, so I'm just totally guessing. Okay. Andy, yeah. Uh, I have no idea what that acorn-looking thing was, but the guys themselves seemed completely uninterested in it, so I will do the same. Now, let's take this from a Gary sense, right? From from a Gary angle here, Gary Drayton angle. Remember, folks, Gary is on the island for the express purpose of finding metal artifacts. Um, that's his only job. Sure, as an extension of that job, he is also there to help the mystery. But let's face it, his number one goal the one thing he wants to accomplish, the entire reason we all know his name, is he's there to find metal objects underground. 
and and under shallow, right? Only under a foot or two, right? So anytime he digs up something that is sort of out of the ordinary, as this coin is, he gets pretty excited because it's a job well done for him, right? Like a quarterback celebrating a touchdown catch. (laughs) Whether the, the item he finds informs the mystery or not, well, in the long run, that's for others to decide. Just like if a quarterback celebrates a touchdown catch, even though the team's losing, you know, it's you celebrate a job well done. And I think that's a little bit of what Gary's doing. And I think that's what his over exuberance, to use that word, is based on the fact that he did his job and he did it well. And like you say, Andy, it is a really strange artifact. And as we discussed last week, even though this might not be all that unusual on a macro scale, right, it is apparently very unusual for Nova Scotia. Remember last week, we heard Laird Niven say that something like this has never been found uh, in Nova Scotia. It's been found on the East Coast of the United States. And I think I found, um, if I remember correctly, I found evidence of it being something like this being found even off the coast of Maine, which is not that far away. So even if it means nothing to the Oak Island mystery, it may very well be a historically significant find. And I think Gary deserves to get excited about that for sure. Then we bring in the editing, and the editing makes it seem like whatever the editing wants it to make it seem like. When Gary may not think that, you know, a Roman gladiator dropped this here, uh, you know, and then we try to twist it into some sort of Templar narrative or whatever it might be. But these coins were used by many people for hundreds of years. They were collected. There's probably millions of them all over the world. The Roman Empire, as I said last week, was around for a thousand years, making coins for a very long time. And those coins were used for a very, very long time and circulated everywhere, you know, even after the Roman Empire. So anyway, I think, you know, again, Gary deserves a little credit and he's allowed to be a little exuberant. Great stuff, Andy. All right, let's go to our friend and patron, Steve, who writes, Dave, hey there, hope the year is off to a great start on the musical front and the family as well. Just a a few pseudo-related thoughts with a few episodes under our belts. With the Lagina team on the island for a decade or more now, there must be diminishing returns every time Gary Drayton metal detects a lot. I mean, there can only be so many surface finds on each lot before you really have to use uh, industrial metal detectors or magnetometers and dig with heavy equipment. By now, they must have cleared pounds of modern junk, tin cans, pop tabs, nuts and bolts, etc. from the island. You even see him scanning with his detector and without digging proclaiming that's probably something modern. Eventually, you're going to run out of lots or have to dig deeper. Okay, let me just stop here. For sure, Steve. I mean, that makes tons of sense. Maybe that's another reason why Gary is so pumped when he finds something, right? Because I think he does spend a lot of time finding nothing, as you, uh, as you mentioned here. Anyway, back to Steve. Related, he says, and maybe it's my imagination, and there are some lots we never see the team explore or hear about. I'm reluctant to name one because you're much smarter than me. Listeners will remind us example of examples. But especially at the western end of the island, like lots 1 and 21, where the causeway comes in, do they simply feel there's nothing there? Have they already looked and found nothing non-modern or, as Clotworthy would say, ancient haven't gotten to exploring them yet. Seems like they could have knocked those out a long time ago before buying Lot 5. Um, outside of what we see on the show, does any searching occur on Dan Blankenship's lot, Lot 23, or Tom Nolan's lot, Lots 9 through 14? I mean, I'd be pretty, it'd be pretty funny and ironic if the fabled back door to the money pit is sitting on one of those lots and no one's looking. Those lots must be chock full of surface artifacts and Bobby Dazzlers as well. 
Maybe Tom and Dave run their own lots, run their lots with a metal detector in their spare time uh, and separately contract with someone like Gary to explore them. I mean, why wouldn't they? Low risk, potentially high return. The writers and showrunners need to amend their nomenclature. They're spinning and po- the po- this possible narrative that there were depositors, retrievers, and searchers, and so tunnels and shafts must fall all, fall into those categories, and the science around them also needs to be interpreted in that context. Anything after 1795 is most likely searcher. Maybe they even bite the bullet and call it treasure hunter construction. Before 1795, it could be depositor or retriever if there was anything to retrieve. Maybe nitpicky. I know they can't yet distinguish between them. Have a great weekend, Steve. Great stuff, Steve. I mean, the, the idea of someone depositing and then later retrieving something all before 1795 is certainly an idea worth considering in any treasure narrative, right? Especially as we get further and further down the road here with no actual treasure being discovered despite all this money and time and effort being put into it. For a long time, no one ever even considered the idea or talked about the idea of a past retrieving operation, and for obvious reasons, right? Hard to get investors to invest in a treasure hunt if you're saying that the chances are someone already beat you to it. But if nothing else, two separate projects, one to bury treasure and one to retrieve it later on, I suppose could help answer a lot of those questions, things like the large dating range of stuff like wood found in various areas around the island. Those dates kind of seem to be all over the place, right? So I guess that might be one explanation for that phenomenon. Worth thinking about, I guess. And and if Treasure is indeed under Dan Blankenship's house, my guess is he knew it all along and he was just taking us all for a little ride. Uh, Great stuff as always, Steve. Thanks for writing uh, and thanks for your support over the years. Let's go now to Facebook and hear from Mike, who says, saw this map dating 1719 on Antique Roadshow on PBS. It has many similar structures as in Smith's Cove. Maybe the British were salting cod. At that time, it might have been more precious than gold to their navy. And again, I'm going to try to post this uh, thing on the Facebook page, uh, this map for you guys, um, so you can see it. Uh, And again, I am always amazed by the listeners to this show. I really don't know where I'd be without you. Uh, Another incredible find, Mike. This is fantastic. I mean, you know, just looking at it, the first thing that comes to mind is the Gordon Fader and Joyce Steele theory. Um, And that it is kind of similar, right? I mean, the British Navy did something. They believe the British Navy did something on the island for one reason or another. Uh, You can read what it might be. It was about um, uh, ship stores and that kind of stuff. Uh, And it was kept secret or simply lost to history like so many other things. Now, again, their theory is not about cod, but you can see the parallels there, right? Uh, Mike, I think you need to explore this theory a little more. I'm just saying. You might be onto something here. This is this is pretty good. To me, this kind of theory answers a lot of questions, including the one like, why haven't you found a treasure? Now, it doesn't answer the hundred foot hundred foot deep shaft and vault you believe if you believe in those things, right? But it does answer or potentially answers a lot of other things that we find mysterious, things like found in Smith's Cove or the swamp or various other like wharf possibilities. Anyway, keep digging, Mike. All right. Let's finish up with an email from Nicholas who writes have a question from, I am guessing, is season two or is from two to three seasons back when they were first really excavating and going through the swamp. When they found those big rock paved areas, they were going through very carefully with the archaeologists, and I think Rick and Dr. Spooner were there. 
Remember, they kept finding little chunks of charcoal underneath the stones, and they would get the date back on them, but they kept going into detail, talking about it, and Dr. Spooner said they could somehow trace back and find out where the charcoal originated from. But it would take some time, but I don't remember them ever coming back to that and giving us those answers or anything on that. Love the podcast. Hopefully you remember what I'm bringing up. I just thought that would be a great piece of info to add to the puzzle, but we never heard from the conclusions. Uh, my friend, I don't really know how to answer this. Um, well, let me say yes. I do have a recollection of what you're talking about. Certainly the charcoal they found for sure. I'm not sure I'm recalling the specifics of what scene you're referring to and when exactly it is, but here's the problem. If we spend all of our time tracking how many things they find, they show us, they tell us they're going to follow up on, only to never see or hear from these things ever again. I mean, I feel like sometimes that's all we would ever talk about on the podcast. I mean, we can dedicate an entire series of podcasts uh, just to the subject alone because they do this constantly on this show. Uh, it's kind of maddening for a lot of people, you know, it's, there's no doubt about that, but it happens all the time. So I'm kind of used to it by now. And that's why I'm always saying here on this show that if we never see something get followed up on, um, then we can conclude that they did, they did follow up on it and their follow up amounted to nothing of significance. And they just don't want us to know that they want us to just remember the mystery behind it and somewhere in the back of our head. There's no other reason to do it really that than that, right? To just ignore it. With all the manpower and resources they have at their disposal now, I can't imagine something as potentially significant as this that you're talking about here could just ever be forgotten about or put in a drawer or stuck in a queue somewhere that they just haven't gotten around to yet. That doesn't make any sense, right? They've My guess is they've done it and they don't want to tell us the answers. So whatever reason might be out there for doing that, for not telling us the answers, and I know there is an entire online social media movement out there of Oak Island fans who thinks that the Laginas and Prometheus are hiding major evidence in order to keep the show going, right? But even if that were true, there is no way all of these forgotten finds could be explained in that manner. And just for the record, I don't think they're hiding evidence to keep the show on any longer. So Nicholas, that is a very, very long way of saying no. They did not give any answers to that that I can remember. Uh, folks, if I'm forgetting something, please let me know. Um, and, you know, I think I kind of know why. <laughs> Keep those emails coming, my friend. Great to hear from you. That's all for the emails this week. Remember, if you have any comments or questions, just email me, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. All right. It's time now to discuss Season 10, Episode 10 of The Curse of Oak Island called The Blob. We will start with The Swamp. And this will be quick because there wasn't really anything new done in this episode at the Swamp. Uh, Peter Fernetti, Emma Culligan, and Charles Barkhouse head to St. Mary's University in Halifax to meet with Dr. Krista Brousseau, an old favorite of the show for sure. They're showing her a big metal spike that the team found in last week's episode while digging in an area at the northern end of Lot 10, the beach just, just north, just at the tip of the Swamp. Remember, they were digging there looking for a quote-unquote damming structure, which Fred Nolan claimed to find decades ago. The doctor scans it and comes up with his chemical makeup, which indicates iron with bits of sulfur, possibly from the soil and traces of phosphorus, which apparently might indicate medieval English smelting processes. But she stops short, if I'm not mistaken, and I've watched it a couple times, of actually offering up an opinion on a possible date. We just sort of get this could have happened from before here and you know who knows when. 
Now, later on in the show, Emma meets with the rest of the team, including Tom Nolan now, on that beautiful deck off the Interpretive Center to tell them what she and Dr. Brousseau, to some extent, because she took all these notes there when she was talking to her, uh, what they think of the artifact. And I, I got to tell you, they need some Adirondack chairs on that deck. It's just beautiful there. Anyway, listen, there's a lot of nodding and a lot of chopped up conversation here in this scene. And in the end, it appears the object is old, like 1700s and before, and most likely English made. What follows is lots of Templar talk and more about Xena Halpern's map. But honestly, this scene is so edited and so chopped up that it's hard really to tell what Emma actually thinks of the artifact. She certainly seems to think it's old and could be very old. And that's kind of all I can tell. And she seems intrigued by it. It's nothing definitive, nothing about what exactly it is and what it might have been used for. I mean, if they think this is from a dam, wouldn't the best way to prove that to be go dig more and find more of the dam? I'm just not sure why they went through all this with this item when they seemingly have a target for where to look for this supposed dam. Tom and Rick are hopeful as always. Tom for his father, Rick for his late friend Zena. Uh, it's heartwarming, really. They want to look more for this possible dam. But like they said last week, there will be some permitting issues that need to get done first. Again, it makes you wonder why they did all of this analysis on the spike when they haven't really been able to determine yet if there is an actual dam there to begin with. It's just kind of a little confusing to me. It seems a little backwards. Before the scene ends, Tom mentions that his father wrote a book about his time searching on Oak Island. And he says he'll go back and read it again to see if it might tell them about this possible discovery of a damming structure. And this leads me to two questions. One, wouldn't that have been a good idea to do before digging up the beach? And two, where is this book and how do I get a copy? Well, that's really all for the swamp. So rather than take a break here quickly, let's uh, jump into some of the more fascinating stuff that happened over on lot five. This is a newly purchased lot on the northwest side of the island. Gary and Rick are metal detecting up towards the northern end of lot five, kind of near the beach there. They find some unidentifiable piece of metal and also an old nail. But then in the hole right next to a tree, almost under it, actually, Gary finds a piece of pottery. Weirdly, the show makes it seem as though Gary found the pottery with a metal detector. But how could that be possible? <laughs> I mean, pottery doesn't have metal in it, right? But be that as it may, archaeologists Laird Niven and Helen Sheldon come over to have a look. Helen seems to know exactly what it is right off the bat. She says it's a type of pottery from England dating to the first half of the 18th century. The archaeologists seem very interested in it, and everyone decides to let them take over this area and do a proper excavation of it. So in the next scene we see here on Lot 5, we see the return of another archaeologist, Miriam Amaralt. It's great to see her back on the show. Um, last year in this weird scene, it made it look like Marty kind of kicked her off the island. It was sort of a strange scene and one that kind of bothered a lot of viewers. So, I mean, her return is really welcome just for that man, just 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 for that one reason, right? And also because of the great work that she'll be doing here and you're going to see here. Helen tells Laird that what they have discovered so far here, right? She says they're looking at, quote, a rock-filled excavation of some sort and all the artifacts have been really early meaning she's not finding any modern stuff kind of mixed in. The three archaeologists continue working with Miriam and Helen doing the digging here and Laird kind of sifting through the spoils as they come out. Uh, they, you know, they, they bring out dirt in buckets and kind of hand it to him to sift through. Miriam pulls out another piece of pottery, which Laird calls Delftware. Now, Delftware is what 
he also uses this phrase, a tin glaze type of pottery that was popular during the 17th and 18th centuries. The interesting thing about it is that Laird says pottery like this has never been found on Oak Island before. I'm not sure what to make of that fact, honestly, but it was important enough for Laird to mention. So perhaps um, that little factoid will help tell the story here of what went on. You know, let's keep an eye on that little uh, that little little piece of information for the future. Right. Later on, Helen finds an old hand forged copper nail, which she says suggests boat building. So the thing is. Copper nails don't corrode easily in salt water, not like iron nails do. Therefore, they're used a lot for building ships for, you know, for ages. They've been doing this, right? And all sorts of things related to that kind of stuff. There's other applications for copper nails, but this is certainly one of them. Uh, now, it's important to note the archaeologists can see the ocean from where they're standing here. So it's not like something completely out of the ordinary in my mind to find an artifact that might be related to a boat, Right. But Matt on the Patreon discussion put it best when he said, quote, that's the most excited I've ever seen Laird get on this show. Matt, you are right. And that alone speaks volumes to me. Laird says, quote, our current thinking is that there was something here pre-1770s and then it was intentionally buried for whatever reason. Now, I don't want to sound too much like Robert Clotworthy here, but could they have just found something someone a very long time ago wanted to hide? does seem that way, at least off the bat here. And now you see why Laird is so excited. I mean, archaeologists love mysteries, just like podcasters do. I also love this other quote from Matt on the Patreon. He said, quote, honestly, seeing what the archaeologists do is a really underrated part of the show. I just respect the detail of the work. I know some people find it boring, but I prefer to, to some of the money pit stuff. I agree, Matt. All the more reason to be excited about this, right? I mean, come to think of it, whatever happened to the excavation at the Samuel Ball property and all this other stuff, you know, now that they've got a few archaeologists on there, hopefully we can return to some of those really cool projects. Now, Marty comes to meet with the archaeologists and see how they're kind of making out, get kind of an update. They agree, like I said, that the pottery is pre-1750. So what follows is a lot of talk using phrases like pre-searcher and such. Steve on the Patreon said it it the best when he said, quote, they need to stop beating the pre-dating discovery of the money thing to death. And we talked about this earlier in his email. Uh, he continues, it was established, I think, seasons ago that people were on the island well into the early 1700s. French, English, farmers, military, let's get over it. And that's exactly correct, Steve. There's a lot of talk here, and this is a great example of what you've been saying. It's my belief that the writers use this phrase, pre-searcher, to kind of fool people into thinking that the island was uninhabited before the money pit was discovered in 1795. But that's simply not the case. Now, that doesn't mean this isn't potentially a really cool find, whatever this is, right? But what it does mean is that uh, just because it comes from before 1795 does not prove that whatever this is must have been built by whoever buried a treasure on Oak Island. Two things just don't line up to me. Now it's time to head over to the money pit where the action begins at the research center with another meeting about what to do next. Man, it sure seems like they've had meetings like this quite a bit, right? Didn't they have one last week? Anyway, Steve Guptill gets the conversation really kind of going by saying that information gleaned from the drilling program they have been conducting this year means, quote, the garden shaft stands a chance of being the money pit. Now, I don't usually let the editing get me aggravated, but I really was when they decided to cut out the part 
about what information exactly he was referring to and how they come to this conclusion. I mean, man, oh man, that grind, that did grind my gears. Why leave that out? Anyway, Rick tells the team that once the Garden Shaft project restarts, quote, we're not going to be able to do any more in terms of drilling assets in the area, end quote. Now, I have to ask, why is that exactly? He doesn't explain this. Now, I believe him. I believe when he says this that he feels this way and uh, and something is bringing him to this conclusion. But I was just really kind of confused by the whole thing because sort of this absolutist quality of the, the statement here, like we just can't do anything anymore once this thing gets started because weren't they already drilling boreholes? Wasn't this drilling program going on in the money pit when the garden shaft was being worked on earlier this year before the permitting issues? Um I just wonder what the difference is between then and now and why it can't restart. Either way, the question doesn't get answered, and the team concludes uh, more water sampling needs to be done to track down the source of gold found in samples taken by Dr. Spooner way back at the end of Season 8. So with that in mind, the next scene, we see the aforementioned Dr. Spooner come to the island along with another familiar face, another returner, Dr. Matt Lukeman. Fans of the podcast will will recall Dr. Lukeman appeared on this very podcast in October of 2021, and back then, he was there to help us sort of preview Season 9. And because what we thought this was going to be was a summer of doing just this, tracking down the source of this gold or I think silver at the time. Yet here we are still trying to do just that, still in the middle of this project. So the scientists take some samples and later in the war room, they present their findings along with a colleague of theirs, a man named Dr. Fred Michaels. The scientists show the team a few slides that indicate where the highest level of precious metals were found in the waters, therefore indicating the location of any possible source of where these metals might be coming from. They show us these slides, and and the second slide has what Marty refers to as a blob. This is the namesake of the show, right, Of of the episode, and it is this sort of large red area. Um in the northern end of the money pit grid, uh, the area just to the left of the garden shaft, just to the west of the garden shaft. And what we're meant to believe here is that this seems to be the target. Now, there's also a kind of interesting paragraph right on the second slide, the same one with the blob. And if you stop, you're, 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 if you pause the show and read it, uh, it says, quote, this is the region where additional monitoring wells might help us solve the problem of where the high metals are coming from, end quote. So that obviously leads me to a question um, and to wonder why this is being presented to us like this. You know, is this red blob what they think is the source or the location of the source? Or is it just an area that needs, quote unquote, additional monitoring before we can even say that, right? Because they make us think from looking at this, that this blob must be the source. But clearly that's not what the slide itself says. And nobody bothers to mention that. The only reason why you know that is by pausing and looking at these words on these slides. Again, I blame the confusing on the editing and not the guys doing the presenting here. I'm pretty sure since they put that on that slide that there was a discussion around that table about what that slide said and what they really meant by this red blob target, right? Anyway, 
The scientists also add that the gold seems to be found at a depth of around 80 to 110 feet. And I kind of chuckled when Marty calls that depth shallow. (laughs) He has an interesting interpretation of the word shallow. But I guess in Oak Island terms and really in Marty's lifetime, right, and the the jobs that he's done over his life, I guess 80 to 110 feet really isn't all that deep. Now, this depth, this depth here makes them talk about the 90-foot stone because it's, you know, right in there, right? But honestly, this conversation, there isn't much to it. There, there isn't, you know, it's a lot of chatter in my mind uh, and not a lot of uh, really basing anything on facts of what, of what they're finding. I mean, again, go back, look at all of this. Even though we are a year and a half into this project, we seem to only be sort of now zeroing in on a possibility of where this possibly source might be. You know, we're not really definitively looking at anything in particular. So they're finding the source in the water at 80 to 110 feet because that's where these openings are. So that's where the water is. Does that make sense? Um, if these are tunnels and the water is flowing through these tunnels, well, the water is flowing through the tunnels because the tunnels were built there, not because that's where this was. Does this all connect to the where the source might be? I think it's a little early yet. I know I'm kind of talking in circles, but that's kind of how I feel. So what we have to do here, right, and what we've gotten here, and which is the exciting part of all this, is that we have a new area to explore for this possible precious metals. And it's apparently... 10 to 15 feet just west of the garden shaft on the very northern end of the money pit. So hopefully we can do some drilling here and conclude that. And then once that drilling is done and we know this is where we want to look, the excavation of the garden shaft continues. And then we actually get down into an area where we think there's a source of gold and silver on Oak Island. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Diggin' Oak Island podcast. Don't forget, you can really help keep the show going by becoming a patron. If you think the show is worth $5 a month to you, then head over to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. And if you prefer, you can also make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Just use the username at Dave McBride Music. Also, if you'd like to help out the podcast in another way, then you could do so by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. Uh, A big thanks to everyone who's done that already. I really do appreciate it. Let's get some more of those in. It helps get the word out on the show. Uh, You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We are at Diggin' Oak Island. And if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, you could do so via via email, digginoakisland at gmail.com. And just keep in mind, if you do send me an email or a direct message on social media, I may just answer it here on the podcast. So if you don't want your message read, just please make a note of that for me, and uh, and we'll try to answer it as best we can. So, as Dave Blankenship used to say, it's crown time. Until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Diggin' Oak Island.